You're listening to Breaking the Bottle Legacy with Molly Watts, episode 44. Hi, I'm Molly. After a lifetime living under the influence of family alcohol abuse, spending more than 30 years worrying about alcohol and my own drinking, believing I had an unbreakable daily drinking habit, I changed my relationship with alcohol forever. If you want to change your drinking habits, then Breaking the Bottle Legacy is for you. My goal is to help you create a peaceful relationship with alcohol, past, present, and future. Each week, I'll focus on real science and using your own brain to change your relationship with alcohol. Nothing has gone wrong. You're not broken. You're not sick. It's not your genes. And creating peace is possible. I'm here to help you do it. Let's start now. Well, hello and welcome or welcome back to Breaking the Bottle Legacy with me, your host, Molly Watts, coming to you from a pretty dark and blustery Oregon. I'm actually recording in the evening, which is not something I typically do, but I am tonight and uh, it's pretty dark and rainy and windy outside. It has been kind of all day, (laughs) Uh, but that's okay. I'm here and... I got to tell you, I'm this is the third time I am setting out to record this episode. Uh, The first time I recorded it all the way through got done and just wasn't happy with it. Um, The second time I was recording just a little bit ago, and I realized that my microphone wasn't set correctly. And I was recording, but it wasn't capturing properly. So that's super awesome and fun. And so now here I am on attempt number three. We're going to jump right back into this week's episode because it is a part two of last week's episode, a review and sort of my take on This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. So if you haven't listened to uh, episode 43, I believe it is episode 43 last week, which was October. If you're listening to this um, whenever it, uh, this episode is coming out on October 27th. So last week's episode came out on October 20th and I believe it was episode 43 and this one's episode 44. Now I don't even know that. (laughs) So anyway, but if you didn't listen to that one, you should probably do that first In it, I uh, share kind of the basic foundation of this naked mind and the reasons that I'm spending any time talking about it whatsoever. I will reiterate again that this is not some negative assault on this naked mind. There are many, many things. And if you listen to last week's episode, you will hear that I agree with so much of the book and what I learned from it. And also, I've done the 30-day alcohol experiment, which I didn't talk about last week, but it's one of the programs there. Currently, I believe that program is $47, at least that's what it was as of this airing. And when I did the program, it was back in 2019. And I am sure that for that amount of money, it's a very good value. It's not personalized. It's a large group. And really, it's about spending 30 days being consuming the content and really being immersed in the messaging from this naked mind and interacting with other people while you take a 30 day break. Uh, But again, what I, I believe that there's a lot of value there, as long as you realize that while you might be just planning to cut back 
the program is actually focused on being completely alcohol free. And ultimately, they will tell you that alcohol is what is the problem and it has power over you, even though that's not what they initially start out saying. I'll say it again, there's a lot of information in this Naked Mind and the 30-day experiment that I 100% agree with. I am not here to encourage you to drink alcohol if being alcohol-free is the choice that feels most peaceful for you. Clearly, for Annie Grace, being alcohol-free is something she is passionate about and feels strongly that it is what has given her her best life. I am living my own best life where alcohol is a non-factor. I don't worry about drinking. I don't have a bunch of desire to drink. I don't have cravings or feel miserable when I'm choosing to be alcohol-free. And I can absolutely enjoy a glass of wine with a nice dinner and be done with it. When we focus on alcohol being an addictive substance, which is kind of where this naked mind ends up. And when we believe that most people, that people, I shouldn't say that most people, when we believe that people are addicted, even though studies suggest that most of us are not physically dependent, whether we believe that or not, when we drive conversations in such a black and white way, I don't believe it's helpful for the many people who would benefit greatly by cutting back on how much they are drinking. And as I shared last week, the stated goal of the book is to help us change our unconscious beliefs about alcohol, which I completely agree with. But ultimately, in the end, the message is actually, you don't have the power, you can't control alcohol because it's an addictive substance. And the only answer is to not drink at all. And if you do drink, you're, you're, you, after you've decided not to drink, you'll immediately struggle and addiction could take hold. In last week's episode, I shared the mini chapters that are spread throughout the book. She calls them her liminal points. And these points are the unconscious beliefs that Annie Grace wants us to question. And I love that. And I would ask you to ask yourself to go beyond what the liminal points are in the book and ask yourself what stories about alcohol you might have that are running in your subconscious. For myself, as an adult child of an alcoholic, I definitely had additional stories that layered on to what society told me about alcohol and what the messages were from the alcohol industry. Your unconscious thoughts are there too, and the way to find them is to keep asking your brain questions. One of my favorite questions is what else might be true? It takes time to uncover your unconscious thinking, but it's not impossible. And once you make the connection between your thoughts and your feelings, you'll be motivated to do that work. I highly recommend journaling, doing thought downloads, literally just writing it all down, whatever, whatever thoughts are there. And just keep asking yourself questions when your brain throws out answers like, I don't know challenge that and ask your brain to find an additional thought. Okay, back to this naked mind. 
So we talked about the liminal points and the mini chapters. The rest of the book is narrative chapters. And that's what I want to talk about today, though I am not going to go in depth into each narrative chapter, because quite honestly, we'd be here until Christmas if that were the case. <laughs> but I'm going to take some snippets and some highlights and some, you know, really try to give you specific examples of things that I either agree with or don't agree with and why. All right. So the first two chapters that are narrative chapters, and they're not the first two chapters in the book, but within the framework of this narratives, the first one is you simply naked. And the second one is you polluted. So the message of the chapter you simply naked can basically be boiled down to we need to see that we are strong, whole and complete. We need to understand that alcohol, instead of acting as a support to help us deal with life, actually deadens our senses and harms our, hum our immune system. She goes a little further saying that consuming chemicals that are addictive, like alcohol, is reckless. And again, while I will completely agree with the idea that alcohol isn't a positive support system for dealing with life, saying that drinking alcohol just because it has the propensity to be addictive, just because of that, it's reckless, that really feels like fear-mongering to me. And fear-mongering is simply trying to, you know, make somebody scared and scared into believing that they need to change something because you're, you know, they're being reckless, right? It puts all the emphasis on the substance and doesn't address why or why not people might choose to include alcohol in their lives. It also moves away from conversations to understand what's behind the decisions to misuse alcohol in the first place. What's causing the feelings we're trying to escape or create with alcohol? And how can we use our own brains to change how we're feeling instead of turning to alcohol? In my conversation with Dr. Adi Jaffe, uh, regarding his book, The Abstinence Myth. And I will link that episode in my show notes. There's going to be a bazillion notes just to say, just saying for this episode. Um, he said that when we focus on just quitting, stopping the action of drinking, we don't address the core reason why people are quote unquote addicted in the first place. As a reminder, Dr. Jaffe runs a recovery program for people who are physically dependent on drugs and alcohol. And he agrees, if we don't figure out why we're drinking and learn to manage our feelings, we'll likely just turn from drinking to something else. Now, this doesn't mean that choosing to be alcohol-free might not be the best choice for some people, but it remains a choice, their own choice. From his book, The Abstinence Myth, requiring permanent abstinence or assuming the person is doomed to relapse over and over again is often not true. In fact, many people don't follow this pattern. Dr. Jaffe himself is living proof, and he says, I had been a meth addict, and as I was conducting this research, I was back to drinking socially without a problem. He says, and I quote, Sure, whenever I wrote about it, I got incredible pushback. People told me that sharing my story will kill other addicts. I didn't expect the studies of the findings of the studies I led, and initially, I didn't know what to do with them. I had been free of all mind-altering substances for three whole years myself. It was the only thing anyone told me was possible. But here I was, the ex-addict who was able to drink socially, finding out there are potentially millions of people who would get help tomorrow 
if they weren't asked to commit to quitting now and forever before they even began their recovery. No, we're not talking about recovery here, but if it's true for people who are physically dependent, then don't you think it would be true for people who are psychologically dependent? If we change how we think about alcohol, which is what the value of this naked mind was for me, and it's definitely where I align with it, isn't it possible that we could enjoy a drink socially and not run the risk of becoming addicted? The second chapter of the narrative chapters, You Polluted, uh, Grace shares the risks and negative health consequences of alcohol from the uh, perspective of trying to disabuse the readers that any of any beliefs that you might have that alcohol is good for your health. And if you've listened to this podcast, you'll know that I am very clear that the safest amount of alcohol for physical health is zero. There is no perceived benefit of alcohol that offsets the negative impacts of alcohol on your health. No one who is currently not drinking alcohol should add alcohol to your life for any perceived health benefits. The science is just not there to support that decision, and I've shared in multiple episodes, which why I will link in the show notes, <laughs> that, that you can learn more about that actual science. Grace shares science as well, but she doesn't go as far as I do to explain um, why that science is limited. And I think that's important. And so I wish that she would have. We do have to do a better job of educating ourselves. And there are forces working against that. And, and there's forces working against that awareness. And those would include both society and, and the alcohol industry itself. One specific quote in the book caught my attention while I was reviewing it for the podcast, and it sent me down a rabbit hole of research. And I'm going to share it with you because it's important to me, not because I think she maybe made a mistake in her citations, but also just because I think it's really important to not make generalized, vast statements that because none of the science that we have uh, around alcohol is 100% conclusive. So you are always going to have to assess your own personal risk. And it's why I highly recommend books like Drink, The New Science of Alcohol and Your Health by Dr. David Nutt. And I've talked about it multiple times on the show. Anyways, here's this quote. Just one bout of heavy drinking, meaning five drinks in two hours for men or four drinks in two hours for women, can cause permanent alterations in your nerve cells and reduce the size of your individual brain cells. That's a direct quote. <laughs> and this quote is cited from an article in Forbes magazine from 2012 titled What Alcohol Really Does to Your Brain. It's written by David DeSalvo, who's written books on the brain but he's not a scientist or a doctor, not that that matters because neither am I. And he's obviously educated himself on the brain and clearly as he's a senior contributing editor to Forbes and Psychology Today, um, he's done the work. Uh, here's the thing, nowhere in the article that's cited is there anything to support the quote that's in the book. And like I said, it's, it's possibly just a mistake. She may be meant to cite one of DeSalvo's books. I don't know because I haven't read them yet. But I've researched that claim, the claim that just one bout of heavy drinking can cause permanent alterations in your nerve cells and reduce the size of your individual brain cells. I've looked a lot and I can find nothing to support that. 
And I've even reached out to Dr. David Nutt (laughs) because of his extensive and renowned research in alcohol for 40 plus years. So I want to ask him if he's seen any studies to support this claim. But as of this recording right now, I haven't heard back from him yet. It's all right. I've also asked him to join me again on the podcast. So fingers crossed that he'll be back for another robust conversation. Knowing what I know about alcohol research, I just find it hard to believe that any such study exists to support that claim. And it seems like if it were true, it would probably be front page news and certainly something that we'd be sharing in earnest with college students where binge drinking is consistently problematic. I think it's ironic that in this chapter where Grace is talking about the hazards of misinformation, (laughs) and she is potentially a part of the problem in my opinion, She's using misinformation in the other direction to heighten fear and scare people into submission, but it just energizes the conversation in a way that makes people feel powerless over alcohol. And obviously, I don't believe that's true at all. One last note on this chapter is that she states, quote, common knowledge actually claims that moderate drinking defined as one to three drinks per day benefits your health. Now, she doesn't put a citation here, so I'm not sure where the definition came from, but in actuality, as I've shared here on the podcast often, the definition of moderate drinking according to the CDC and the NIAAA is less than two drinks a day for healthy men under the age of 65 and one standard drink per day, less than one standard drink per day for women under the age of 65. That definition goes on to say, that drinking less is better for health than drinking more. Every week here on the podcast and in my show notes, I share the low risk limits for alcohol consumption. And I want to be clear that including alcohol in my life in a minimal way for me means following these guidelines, which because I've learned the science around alcohol and I've worked on my thoughts about alcohol, I've questioned my unconscious beliefs about alcohol these guidelines are now easy for me to follow. Questioning my beliefs about alcohol and uncovering those unconscious stories was a big part of creating my peaceful relationship with alcohol. So again, I'm not recording this episode to slam this naked mind or Annie Grace in any way. The next narrative chapter is called, Oh Shoot, We're Stuck, but insert profanity instead of shoot and you get the idea. And this chapter kind of talks about the idea of the marketing of alcohol. In general, I wholeheartedly agree that we need to change the advertising laws regarding alcohol. We did it with cigarettes, and that was because of the strong causal scientific link between smoking and cancer. Alcohol has enough negative health consequences that there should be much stricter guidelines, if not full-scale bans on alcohol advertisements. Most people simply won't do the research. Most people will see the ads and assume that drinking alcohol is safe enough. We need to get much clearer and much more specific with people on the limits of low-risk drinking. The next narrative chapters include The Mystery of Spontaneous Sobriety, Defining Addiction, Parts 1 and Part 2, The Descent, Why Some Descend Faster Than Others, living a naked life in our society, this naked mind, and finally, the secret to happily and easily drinking less, the journey, 
colon relapse and pay it forward. There's a lot of information and content in these chapters. And as I said, I'm not going to go through it all. Uh, We're just going to touch on some brief highlights. She touches on cognitive dissonance, which I've covered on the podcast before in episode 10, Breaking Unbreakable Habits. And I agree that we have to align our actions with our thinking to not experience cognitive dissonance, but that does not mean that the only solution is abstinence. In the chapters on defining addiction, she does start to turn her message from one that focuses on the power of our unconscious mind over alcohol to alcohol having the power. Quote, alcohol doesn't satisfy your desire for alcohol. It is what created your desire for alcohol. Alcohol is the only reason you continue to crave alcohol and the only reason your cravings get worse over time. So let's look at that one more time because she says the word alcohol a bunch. Alcohol doesn't satisfy your desire for alcohol. It is what created your desire for alcohol. Alcohol is the only reason you continue to crave alcohol and the only reason your cravings get worse over time. Um, I completely disagree with this statement. The reason you crave alcohol is because of your thoughts about alcohol, which create the feeling of desire. And again, isn't that kind of what this naked mind started out saying too? Isn't that what the promise of the book is in the very beginning? Now, in the following chapter on defining addiction part two, it says, quote, you may feel there is something wrong with you, that you have no choice but to desire alcohol. The truth is we only want something we think provides a benefit. Addicts crave drugs because they are deceived into thinking drugs will enhance their lives. So when I read that, all right, what it says is that we only want something we think provides a benefit. Addicts crave drugs because they are deceived into thinking about drugs, right? To me, I still... I still believe that it's the thoughts that are driving the desire when I read that. But the further conversation in the chapter really focuses on the evolution of addiction and talks about really that anyone that, and and, and I agree, anyone that misuses alcohol over time and with time and repetition can become physically dependent on alcohol. It, but it starts with desire and the desire is created by their own thinking. What happens first is a psychological dependence and cravings are a part of both the psychological dependence and a physical dependence. What I would say only about cravings is that believing they are powerful gives them power. I find it much more useful to practice thoughts like I'm capable of handling any emotion I have and a craving or an urge is just the feeling of desire. In the chapter, Living a Naked Life in Our Society, Annie Grace shares her interpretation of an abstract written by scientist Terry Robinson and Kent Burridge. And uh, I've struggled with whether or not to include this whole conversation in the, the podcast episode because quite honestly, this abstract has, the abstract itself has 217 references, uh, that to different studies and abstracts within that, right? And and to say that it's information rich, this research is an understatement and not easy for anyone who isn't immersed in this type of research uh, or 
you know, who, who doesn't do this on a regular basis. I will link the article in the show notes because, but the writing is extremely technical. It's lengthy. And in Annie Grace's own words, she says a quote about the research. She says, and this is a theory that was posited by these two researchers, Terry Robinson and Kent Burridge. And it says the theory states that repeated use of addictive drugs make the brain's dopamine center hypersensitive to that specific drug. This will happen differently in different people. Some people have higher natural levels of dopamine and some naturally lower levels. However, as I understand it, those are her words, it is possible for this hypersensitivity to a specific drug, in this case alcohol, to happen in anyone over time with repeated use. So she's qualifying the statement there saying, as I understand it. So she's saying it's really her opinion or her own conclusion of this very extensive abstract. And the issue I have is that the researchers themselves cite the fact that none of the research is done on humans, and there is a considerable amount of variability in this incentive sensitization theory, even in the animals. This research was also done to help understand physical addiction. And so I'm not sure how we can, how far we can extrapolate the information onto a non-physical dependent relationship with alcohol. If, if it's, you know, I don't know if we can make the same correlations without getting too far into the weeds on the incentive sensitization theory research. What I really don't like is a statement that great grace makes further after quoting this abstract. She says, quote, did you catch that? This means if you drink enough alcohol over time, you can change the response of your brain to alcohol. And once the change has occurred, it may never return to normal. I would say that's really not factual and not what the scientists conclude either, but Grace makes the statement sound factual and true. I talked a lot about the limits of using science to guide our alcohol decisions in episode number 31. And one thing that I will reiterate here, all of the studies we have on alcohol, whether they show good or bad outcomes are associative. The only area, and this is not in human studies, but it is strong enough in animals that we can draw causal effects is that alcohol is a known carcinogen. Drinking alcohol increases the risk of certain types of cancer, and the links are clear enough to be considered causal, not associative. And as I've said many times, the safest amount for physical health is zero. But to make some sort of catch-all statement that says that if you drink enough alcohol over time, you can change the response of your brain to alcohol. Uh, she's not, that's not, that's not what the, what the incentive sensitization theory says. It does not make that conclusion. The scientists don't make that conclusion. And personally, I don't think she should either. All right, we're getting close to the end now, but I can't skip over the chapter called This Naked Mind without mentioning her commentary on moderation management. Here's what she says. As part of my research into moderation, I read some forums about an approach called moderation management. The participants check in online platforms, check in online platforms and report on how many drinks they consume in a week. They count each drink, trying to obtain a target number of drinks per week. They are consumed every day by when they will drink, how much they will drink, and if they will keep their drinking goals. Instead of finding freedom from alcohol, they've become consumed by it. 
I will only say that Annie Grace didn't go very far into her research if this is her conclusion. I've been involved with MM in a few different ways this past year, and I found and I found them initially from my involvement in Dryuary in January 2021. In October, I've been participating in their program called Kickstart, which in comparison to the 30-day experiment has a lot of the same components. It includes a daily email, a private Facebook group, online meetings, and lots of really wonderful content. The early bird discount in this go-round in October was only 20 bucks, and the full price was only 30 And if you ask me, the content with, was worth its weight in gold. What I really appreciate about moderation management is the fact that they are a nonprofit, not that there's anything wrong with making money, so please don't take it that way, but they are a nonprofit and they are working to empower people. In the description, it says, Moderation management empowers individuals to accept personal responsibility for choosing and maintaining their own path, whether moderation or abstinence. You have the power. And while drink tracking is one tool in the MM program, it's certainly not the only tool. And the members of MM are finding peace and freedom from alcohol through fundamental tools and behavior modifications that lead to lifelong changes in their relationship with alcohol. In episode number 16, I spoke with Mary Hickey Reed, the executive director of Moderation Management, and I will link that episode in the show notes if you'd like to learn more about MM. And I will put a link to the nonprofit here as well. It's in the chapter called The Secret to Happily and Easily Drinking Less, where I really am going to move away from the teachings of this naked mind. I shared a couple of these quotes last week. But even though the title of the, and even though the title of the chapter includes drinking less, Grace quickly reveals that she really means when I talk about drinking less, I mean much less. In fact, I mean nothing. She shares a story in this chapter of her friend Todd, who drinks and who she calls an exception due to his strength of commitment to moderation as a result of his religious faith. She thinks Todd's behavior is not possible for most people. Quote, while it's great to have that level of self-control, the majority of us are not like Todd. Here is her description of Todd. He approaches alcohol with extreme caution. And for this reason, he allows himself a single beer on Friday and a single beer on Saturday. He never drinks more than one and he doesn't drink on other occasions. He is strict with these rules and it is his way of ensuring addiction does not take over. He will probably, as long as he maintains this same level of staunch self-control, go his entire life without developing a physical dependence. She goes further and says she, she's guessing about his mindset, about, about how he feels on Fridays and Saturdays. She says, if Todd really desires the beer, surely he wants more than just one. Surely every Friday and Saturday night, he feels some sort of sadness when this single beer has been drunk. He says to himself, oh, well, that's it then. I'll enjoy another one next week. She takes it one step further by saying, it's important to realize that even in Todd's extreme case, we can't assume that he will be able to keep his two beers a week limit forever. The very fact he drinks those two beers means he enjoys drinking beer. If something was to change in his life 
Who's to say he wouldn't use this coveted beverage to self-medicate? And even if he limits himself forever to these two beers, who's to say it won't become an obsession where he spends his week his week looking forward to his weekend beer? I share all this to simply say that she is catastrophizing, right? Todd's choices. She's, she's extrapolating and taking something where she at one point says that he's, you know, exhibiting great self-control and, and most of us aren't like him, but then she even says that Todd's not capable of managing his own mind. And because he (laughs) treats alcohol with caution, um, when this might mean that he would then, uh, turn to it to self-medicate just because it's one area that it's one thing that he enjoys using. Uh, What if Todd likes ice cream? Could he turn to ice cream and abuse it? Could he overeat ice cream when he's trying to self-medicate? The lean here is what I have issue with. No longer is the message, here's the way we counter the subconscious programming around alcohol that you're probably unaware of that is driving your desire to drink, but now we're unable to use our powerful minds to create the relationship with alcohol we want because alcohol has all the power. She says, if you want your mind to be free and you want complete control back, remember that moderation is not control or freedom. Unless you want to be consumed by an addictive poison that will do nothing for you except eventually kill you, you need to make a commitment to fly away from the pitcher plant, starve your mortal enemy, and revel in your freedom. (laughs) Love those. When you stop drinking, you are killing your mortal enemy. He has stolen or will steal more from you than you can imagine. Quote, The just one game will cloud your judgment and cause you pain. Nothing has changed. Alcohol is still addictive and the danger is still present. Quote, now that you are free, make sure to guard your freedom by guarding your mind. All decisions are yours, but when making them, please remember that alcohol does not change. It will trick and deceive you. It will create a need for itself. And when you become physically addicted, which may happen after a night of drinking or just a few drinks, your mind will no longer be entirely yours. So I guess Annie Grace would tell you that I'm being tricked and deceived and, um, at, you know, and that any day now I could become physically addicted. And I simply do not believe that. (laughs) I do not agree with it. The science doesn't prove it. And my own experience and the experience of thousands of other people that I heard of and worked with and know and seen and experienced in my life tells me that that's not true. I could probably keep sharing notes from this chapter because it becomes really the bottom line of this naked mind for me. She basically says that drinking any alcohol is reckless and she does not believe that anyone can include alcohol in their lives and have peace and control. Not even Todd, it would appear. So these episodes this last week and this week, they might be considered polarizing. And obviously, I have some opinions on this naked mind. The first thing I have to acknowledge is that for some people, they will be most at peace by being completely alcohol free. And I totally agree with the science that the safest amount of alcohol for physical health is none, zero. 
I'm not here trying to convince anyone to add alcohol to their lives or that drinking beyond low risk limits is advisable for anyone. I also believe that most of us who are drinking more than we want to are completely capable of changing our behavior and becoming more mindful about alcohol. Telling people that the only option is abstinence is what I believe is the problem and it's counterproductive and it's not true. So this episode was inspired by an ad I got. I talked about that a little bit last week um, and it, and I don't really want to harp on it because it's not really that the ad is that terrible. It, it really is more that it stirs up this, again, this kind of um, fear mongering or quick fix mentality, which is kind of the quick fix is kind of the counterbalance to fear mongering, right? When you stir up fear, then you've got a quick solution, right? And so the ad was for their five day video program, which is free. And I'm sure again, there is great value in a five day free video program. But do I believe that in five days, you're going to be able to gain control, get free, and completely turn around your relationship with alcohol. I'm here to tell you it took me a lot longer and sustainable change, I believe, requires longer to really work on your, especially if you have a deep seated habit, right? Also, ultimately, even though the ad suggests whether you're just looking to cut back or whether you're just looking to cut back, it says that ultimately what you're going to be told is that that's not possible. It's all or nothing, black or white, and moderation is not is not an option. So the idea that we have to work on our subconscious thoughts about alcohol, yes, that is a better and different approach. And I completely agree with that in terms of this, in terms of this naked mind. And it's different than the way that AA approaches it or other things. But make no mistake about it. In the end, this naked mind tells us just as AA does that alcohol has all the power and we are powerless. I had mentioned that I was going to talk about other resources on this naked mind, but honestly, this episode has already gotten longer than I wanted. And I think I've shared enough about why I take issue with the marketing approach and some of the messaging that I believe that this naked mind shares that is, that is counterproductive to helping people change their relationship with alcohol. Did the book help me? Yes, absolutely. But I believe it helped me because I integrated it with learning about my brain and how to manage my mind. Does my peaceful relationship with alcohol require mindfulness? Absolutely. (laughs) But that work and learning that my experience here on earth is really determined by my own thoughts and that every single thought I have is optional, that I can choose what I want to believe That has been life-changing in the very best way. And figuring out my own drinking habit was just the beginning. All right, that is a wrap. Number three, finally got it done. I mean, you'll, you'll understand if you didn't listen to the beginning, this is the third time I've recorded this episode. Phew, done. There will be numerous links in the show notes. And until next time, choose peace, my friends. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Bottle Legacy. This podcast is dedicated to helping you change your drinking habits and to create a peaceful relationship with alcohol. Take something that you learned in today's episode and apply it to your life this week. Transformation is possible. 
you have the power to change your relationship with alcohol now. For more information, please visit me at www.mollywatts.com.